out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to episode number 131 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and former college roommate, Gary Action Jackson. He'll be coming to you from the East Coast of the United States of America. And we want to thank everybody who tuned in last week to episode 130 on our interview with Scott Holiday from Rival Sons. That was a hell of a fun interview. Scott's a great guy, a big talent, talking about their new album, Dark Fighter, which is out June 2nd. I'll tell you guys, once I heard a preview of Dark Fighter, I'm like, this is awesome. This is one of the best new rock records I've heard in years. I got to talk to someone who made it. We had the opportunity to talk to Scott about it. And he was a super guy. He loves a lot of the same music that we do. He's good at doing his interviews. He was on the road between gigs in a hotel room. He still made time for us. It was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of downloads. It was incredibly popular for us, and we really appreciate We appreciate Scott, and we appreciate Talita from his PR team, and we appreciate everybody out there who listened to it and downloaded it. And if you haven't, I really, really highly recommend you listen to it, and definitely go out by June 2nd, and get Dark Fighter. It's a killer hard rock album. And there's going to be a second, kind of a part two, called Lightbringer coming out this fall. We talk about that during the interview uh, that we're also super duper excited about. Now this week, we've got another round of interviews from some killer rock and rollers with a new album coming out that we think you ought to hear. Okay, but it's not a new necessarily band. It's not an old necessarily band. It's a little bit of both here. Okay, The Cosmic American Derelicts would be going for about a quarter of a century. New Jersey-based band who play you know, all around, including in England. They do a little country. They do folk. They do blues. They do some psychedelic stuff. A lot of it very guitar-driven. But they've got some great piano in there as well. And they've hooked up with the legendary Terry Reed. And for those who listen to our show or not, you know that Terry Reed has been around a long time. He toured with the Stones in the 60s. His first gig in New York City was at Madison Square Garden opening for Cream. When he was a teenager, are you kidding me? This guy has got some killer stories. He was buddies with Jimmy Page. He introduced him to Robert Plant before the formation of Led Zeppelin. He was asked to join Deep Purple when Rod Evans left. So before Ian Gillen was in the picture, it could have been Terry Reed. So he knows all these incredible folks. I mean, talking about his bio where he opened for Jethro Tull and he opened for the Rolling Stones. He opened for Cream. And that going back to the 60s when he was just a teenager. Well... He found these guys, the Cosmic American Derelicts, and I think they came to support him on tour. But then over the years, they've become friends. they become buddies. They share a love of this kind of country and rock music. They apparently also share a love of Westerns, which we're going to hear a little bit on the show. But they've got a great new album, Bergenfield Blues. It's already out in America. Comes out July 21st in the UK. And so we thought we would take some time to, to talk to Terry and to George of the Cosmic American Derelicts, who's kind of their main man. He's the lead songwriter and kind of the uh, arranger of all their tunes, the leader of the band. And we caught him hanging on the couch one day while Terry's sitting there stringing up a 12-string. George is sitting there telling some great stories. It was a fun conversation. It's good to get to know some musicians who maybe aren't super well-known around the world, but are doing good work together. And Terry's on about five tunes on this record, some of them pretty darn bluesy. It's not really a country album per se. It's really got... A little bit of everything in there for everybody. So we're going to get into our conversation with them very shortly. But first, we have a little bit of business to take care of. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different music shows. Not all of them rock and roll. There's really something in there for everyone. 
And I encourage you to go to PantheonPodcast.com to learn more about all the other great shows. Or go to the App Store, pick up the Pantheon Podcast app, and then you can get every episode of all the different shows in one spot. We also have to encourage you to go to RareVinyl.com, our sponsor, who has an amazing collection of rock and roll and just music in general, records, memorabilia, whatever you want, more than a quarter of a million items in stock based in the UK. And if you use the code UGLY, which is a new one, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You need to go to RareVinyl.com. I know we have a lot of record collectors. I know we have a lot of memorabilia collectors. You go to Rare Vinyl, you can find something. It's not just from the UK or US. They collect things from all over the world, and they ship all over the world. They take great care to collect this stuff, to curate it, and to get it to you in one piece. That's why they have a five-star rating on Trust Radius. And if you use our code UGLY, you can save yourself 10%. That might just help knock off the shipping, right? So whether you're in Southampton or South Africa, go to RareVinyl.com. Use the code UGLY. Save yourself 10%. Now back to Terry Reed, the Cosmic American Derelicts and Bergenfield Blues. I was glad when I came to know this band. I was glad when I got a copy of their record to listen to because it's got that blues that we really like here on the Ugly American Werewolf. Country isn't always our thing, like some folk music. But what is country but blues for white rural people, right? It's it's the same storytelling. It's the same bad stuff happens, but you got to get through it kind of thing. And so it, it melded well with kind of Terry's voice, George's songwriting and playing. They have a great band we're going to talk a little bit about here on the show. So why don't we go ahead and jump in here. Here we are talking with the legendary Terry Reed and George from the Cosmic American Derelicts on their new album, Bergenfield Blues, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Well, first of all, George and Terry, welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. We appreciate you coming on. For a look, most of our listeners are like me and Jackson. They're about 50 years old, right? So maybe a little younger than some of us, maybe a little older than some of us, but grew up on 70s classic rock. So 
first question we want to know is how does a rock legend like Terry Reed get hooked up with a bluegrass country blues outfit from Bergenfield, New Jersey? Yeah, and I asked myself <laughs> That's that a valid question. question. Well, the thing was, is George asked himself the question because uh, we met and I was coming to New York to do, to do something and George got hold of me and said, I tell you what, you come in, do you have a band? I said, in, well, I said, what do you mean? They're doing California. He said, but no, no, in New York. Are you going to bring the whole band? I said, well, things are a bit tough flying everybody here. I don't know. He said, well, we got a band, right? And we know a few of your songs. We'll learn the rest. Let's get together. We're more than willing to, you know, throw in there. Yeah. And I went, oh, well, okay. Well, what kind of band did things, you know? So we talked about it. We didn't send... Videos. No, we just talked. You know, we were mm-hmm. very, very analog about it, you know. So he, he, he said, "Yeah, well, we play all kinds of music. We play like rock and roll, and we play country music." I went, "Oh, well, that's right at my streets where yeah. I'm at." So he said, "Yeah," and we play some bluegrass. I went, "Oh, really? Oh, very interesting." So, but first he said rock and roll. So I, when I flew in here. Right, we talked about a lot of my tunes, which are mixture, and then. But when I flew in here, I walk in the room here, in, in the back room, and there's like mandolin on the wall, mm-hmm. uh, you know, slide guitars, and I'm going, "No, oh, wait a minute, what kind of rock and roll band are you?" In? <laughs> well, we're a bluegrass band that plays all this and it. So as we got to know each other, we find out that we love all the, the same things, yeah. whether it be the Louvin Brothers. I mean, you know, really off the off the chart things. Yeah, you know? Marty Robbins, the Burns. Marty Robbins. Yeah. Oh, we just oh, for Christmas. Uh, uh, George bought me the whole Marty Robbins. He got so, you know, we play it all day long. Yeah, <laughs> he, said, he said, "Well, Steve, I know you're going to steal my collection. I better, I better get you one for Christmas. The big box set, you know." Nice. So that's how it started, and we've been how yeah. many years? We were, that was in 2007 when we the football. Yeah, played, we played BB Kings the night after Thanksgiving. That's right. Okay. Yeah. okay. With uh, Dave Brubeck's band was yeah Dave the, Brubeck the, in the afternoon in the afternoon right. yeah, yeah yeah right cool yeah and that's and that's yeah. where it all started yeah, yeah that's where it all started and you know what like when we were talking on the phone I remember mentioning that my guitar player plays B Bender like like got Clarence White style yeah and Terry was like oh you know I love the birds. And then, like, that was, like, one of the things, too, is he was like, oh, you guys like the birds? And we are like, yeah, we love the birds, you yeah, know? Yeah, we love the birds. That was one of the things that kind of brought us, like, our mutual admiration of, like, that whole California country thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's Buck Rainey who plays the, the B-Bender? Yeah, that's Eddie Rainey. Eddie, Eddie Buck Rainey. Rainey. Yeah. Buck. Yeah, so I call him Buck. Yeah. Buck. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, is he a five-pointer or something? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, tell me a little bit, then, or for our listeners who are less familiar with your band, George, I mean, tell us how... You got started in New Jersey and how you've grown out around the world. Well, uh, I don't know. We got together in like, I think, 1998, like the spring of 98. And it was like a band, but we all in other bands. And it was kind of like a band just put together to go like in town, just at this bar to just hang out and do jam sessions on Sundays. And we just invite our friends up and, you know, everybody would swap songs. and It was like fun. And then both the bands that we were in broke up and then like we kind of like merged the two bands together and then that's how like the band started you know like and i was back in 98. right gotcha and then how did you find your way over to uk the first time well that was through terry and this okay. guy named, uh, paul bennett who he saw us play with terry in at bb kings at the first show that we did with terry 
and, uh, and he's a, was a mates with Terry and kind of like, I guess, financing some shit in the background. Yeah, he helped us out with the travel and everything over there. And yeah. Stayed, he, got, he got a lovely big house there down in South End, which is, uh, you probably know about as much as me. South End is real close to London. It's only mm. an hour. Yeah. Well, an hour if you don't get the traffic. <laughs> Four hours if you do, right? Right, right. But, uh, so it, it was very convenient there we did it, and he had to travel. So we we figured, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And so we, we went over there and roamed around yeah, for a bit. Yeah. That, yeah, it was great. Got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen in those English pubs, I know, firsthand. Oh, Jackson yeah. Yeah, it happened at the gigs. Yeah, it happened at the gigs. It happened in the street. It happened in the pub. <laughs> Where we were. Oh, I mean, at the hotel. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's really funny ones, right? Oh, it it yeah, it was, like, that was 2008. Yeah. Wow, that's a great partnership now. Decade and a half, man, still going strong. And now yeah, we're yeah, yeah, together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like we're like best friends, you know, we're, we're you know, great friends, you know. Yeah. It goes beyond music at this point. It's just oh, like yeah, we're like yeah. family, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're big Western fans. Yeah. Too. It's like all English guys. It's it's ironic really. It's it's hard for me to find people in America or or people in my that really are Western fanatics. Okay. Right? Not just John Wayne, I mean, and not just Clint Eastwood, but, right. you know, those with the territory. It's just how the movies are made, what rock is in the background <laughs> that was in another movie. Because, <laughs> you know, when John Ford would do those movies, he would plan the background first. Then he'd put everybody in there, you know. I mean, that's that why it's so rally, epic. That's why it's so scenery yeah. and, and everything. So me and George, me and George have fun spotting the spotting the scenery and spotting who's going to come up next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're big Western fans. You know? Yeah, because we England, sit and watch westerns all the time. You know, my girlfriend's like, "Enough with the westerns around right <laughs> here now, yeah. all day." Yeah, yeah. She yeah. just said before I turned up. Uh oh, oh yeah. Well, I suppose you'll be busy this week. Your western friends coming. <laughs> in. Yeah. 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 And my wife, actually both of our wives are the same way. It's like, oh, God, they're talking about rock and roll again when you just turn that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get round to the rock oh, and roll. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why we do the show together, right? Because we got to have each other to bounce all this information and passion off of, right? Yeah. So. I was going to say, uh, yeah, go down in the basement and talk to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we hear most of the time. Yeah. All right. So, you know, getting into the, to the record a little bit here, Bergenfield Blues, which I guess is coming out. Well, a little later this month in the U.S. is it a July release date in the U.K.? Is yeah, that right? that's a, yeah July. Yeah, it's yeah. still we're selling it at our shows right that we're doing now, but it's coming out like in general in July. And yeah, you're playing you're playing New York right now. I mean, when you're going to the the cutting room, yeah, we're playing well. Yeah, with Terry, we got uh, a couple of gigs coming up this weekend. We're doing uh, the cutting room this Friday in New York. Mm -hmm. We're doing uh, the Turning Point in Piermont, New York. Yeah, the Turning Point, and yeah. then we're doing the Colony in Woodstock. Woodstock. Right. And then Terry's heading back home, and he's going to go to Italy in June to do some. Yeah, well, I'm doing. I'm coming back to do Ronnie Scott's in London in June. I saw that. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, man. around the twentieth. That'd be great. With a whole a bunch of uh, of new lads that I haven't worked with. Well, the, the bass player Jennifer Mayman. She's been with us for a long while. Okay, but the, the drummer and the guitar player They're I haven't good. met yet. Yeah. <laughs> We do one of those fly-by-night numbers, you know. So it'll be great. I've talked to him on the phone, and we're starting to get the whole set really, really honed in. But it's a bit of an adventure. I like that, you know. Well, let's, let's talk about New York for just one second, because I want to hear the difference between a guy who grew up in Jersey eventually going to play New York City, what that means for you, George. But now, Terry, you've been playing New York City, what, 
55 years? I don't know, a long time. You, know? you, can, tell, you can tell by my accent, I'm all less live here. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I remember. I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> but every English, every English artist who's around your generation will tell me about how, look, coming from England in the 60s, it was like black and white gray. And then I get to America in the late 60s, it's like Technicolor, you know? And I want to kind of hear a little bit about your perspective first playing New York and what it means to you now. Oh, man. Well, yeah, it does. It hits you like like lightning. I mean, you're always, as a band in England, and I, whichever band you talk about, whether it was the Beatles or whoever it is, is the big thing is when are we going to America? Right. And the Beatles kept saying, when are we going to America? When? And then they say, uh-oh, it's all breaking loose. You're going to have to go to America. And they went, uh-oh. This is a bit of a, the Stones too. But everybody, you know, was wanting to go to America. So when it came around for me, it was about 1968. That's what okay. it was. And Eric Clapton asked me to go on tour with him over here. Uh, he, well, period, right? Just so you want to do some gigs, just our band and yours. Yeah. And I went, where are we going? And he said, well, we're going to, to the States. And I went, are you serious? <laughs> right? I said, well, wow, Okay. He said, yeah, there's a string of gigs, so, you know, it'll be great. You go just the two bands and we'll do it. And I think just in New York, it was Buddy Miles was on it as well, who who I knew from being wow. out. So I said, so where are the gigs? He said, well, we're playing the garden. And I said, who's garden? What are you talking about, right? And he said, uh, I mean, I was like 17, 18 at the time, you know. Right. All good. He said, Madison Square Garden. You've got to be joking. What? <laughs> you're not. You're playing Madison Square Gardens. I yeah, yeah. So long story. When we turned up and realized, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't bullying about it, you know. <laughs> That's what he meant. When you take one look at that and go, uh-oh. And then uh, but all the all the gigs were like either baseball stadiums or or big gigs. Is that right? Cream was set up baseball stadiums. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There was one in Florida that was a big outdoor uh one that we did that was uh, I remember that was really that was sort of fun. And uh, then Philadelphia Spectrum, which isn't there it's anymore. Hockey, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. hockey now. Yeah, it? those are arenas, yeah, hockey arenas. Yeah, arenas. Yeah. But that was the spectrum being round. Like I, I love that place. Yeah, yeah, I saw a couple of shows there back. Did you? Yeah. yeah, that was a natural one for bands. But at this time in America, like this is retrospect, really, is they you were just starting. They've got the the festivals were starting, and that's just a big mess, you know. Right. But the, the, but the big gigs. Then you start to see where that could be really good money makers for rock and roll bands. And I just found out recently the gig that we did with the Cream, mm -hmm. that first gig, right, uh, was the first rock and roll gig that they did at Madison Square Gardens. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, a friend of mine, we're doing a biography thing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, doing a book thing. And she's picking up all this information. She said, did you know that it was the first one? And I said, well, you know, it did seem a bit funny because I did it again with the Stones later in 69. Okay. And they had the stage at one end. But when we did it with the cream, we won that in the center, revolving stage. And it was like, it felt like, well, it didn't feel like Muhammad Ali, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's a little push in it. But, yeah, but that's the same stage, as you might say, the same spot that Sonny Lister and yeah, all, yeah, the, that's all the big fights from way back, you know, 
yeah. and you couldn't get that out of your mind for some reason, you know, with the speakers. Above. Well, you played there so, yeah. when it was the new garden. Yeah, that's the new garden. Because it was built, I think the new old. garden was like 65 or 66 it was built. Right. Before that, it was someplace, it was yeah, down, that's down true. for it. Yeah, well. So yeah. it was like relatively brand new, that particular version that's of the garden. That's true, but yeah. it's still been a bunch yeah. of fights. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, 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 it was a bunch of fights in that place, yeah, legendary. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of blood being spilt there, you know. I mean, yeah, for sure. all of that stuff we'd seen in England, so to come over to America and actually do that was <laughs> that to me was like really mind-blowing that's just you know it's a special arena is is Madison yeah Garden, definitely you know? I mean yeah and then after that is group after group and group you know made their careers out of it yeah you that's know? right it's special. so how how old were you when you came over in 68 oh about 12 <laughs> I mean I know, she it's what was I 17 Oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, I, I, I saw something. Yeah. I saw an interview you did where you said you you started to be you started as a pro touring with the Rolling Stones at fifteen. Yeah, well, yeah, the pro thing always uh, got me confused. What that meant? <laughs> well, getting paid. The rest, of the, the rest of the spelling of that, you know, you could make it up yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it said okay. what well, I did, but that was in nineteen sixty-five. I was fifteen. Oh right? my goodness. And we went out to, well, I left school and I've been watching all this going on TV with the Stones, riots and all this, sitting there going, <laughs> laughing like everybody did. Oh, look at that. Oh, well, and it's pandemonium. Next thing, I left school, Mickey Keith asked me to go on the tour. And within two days, we were at the Albert Hall in a riot. <laughs> so the thing was, all my mates from school, I told them I'm going on to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very funny. That's it. It's your round. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't believe me, right? And then two days later, they see me running for my life across the stage. <laughs> it's like... Whether they believed it or not, or believed that I'm on the on the ticket, you know, on the on the Good. poster, they see me running, right? That, then it hit all of us, you know, the, the tour, and it was like that the whole tour. It was a screamers tour, you know. Yeah, it was right. You never heard, you yeah. never heard a damn thing. Playing ten time. minutes again, chased off yeah. the stage. It was like <laughs> now, now we have. That was it. <laughs> Never heard me that. I thought they were going to listen to what we were doing, but now no, that it was, was everybody. Yeah. So yeah. is it safe to guess, George, that your first gig wasn't at Madison Square Garden in the city? It's very safe to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was your first experience getting to play in New York? I don't know. I guess when I was like 17 or 18, I started going down to the city to this place called The Downtime. And it used to be like uh, all like the musicians used to hang out there. Where was that? It was right around the corner from the garden. Ah, oh, right. Like I guess right. Garden's on 32nd Street. I think it's on 30th Street. Where the Felt Forum sort of is on that side. No. Yeah, but that's still the garden. This yeah, is like two blocks, like a block down. All right. Okay. And uh, and yeah, there's like a studio up, like a big famous studio. I can't remember the name of it. It was up above the bar. So all the musicians, when they were done doing sessions, would come downstairs and hang out in this particular bar. Oh, you not that I mean? one we went to. No, we didn't get in that. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Okay, good. So uh, we started. They used to do jam sessions on like Sunday nights. I want to say I, it's hard to remember. It's a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, me and my, you know, like my, me and my brother. I used to play with my brother. He was the drummer right. and a friend and this uh, one of the original derelicts, Mike Core. We were like a trio, so we'd go down there and we, you know, do our Hendrix and 
Paul Butterfield and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we met, you know, Michael Powers, who's a great New York guitar player. We, we, we he actually, uh, like, we backed him. His band didn't show up for a gig. And we were there doing a jam. And he's like, hey, man, I need you guys to back me up. And we just backed him up for, like, the whole night. And we like, we kind of met a couple of cats from New York. And I just started playing, you know, slowly but surely, you know, playing music down there, you know. And then I actually auditioned for a band called The Bleeding Hearts, which uh, Joe Wilkinson, the guitar player that's on Burgerfield Blues, was his band, I, and uh, I, I answered an ad in The Voice, and I went down to the city and auditioned for him, and we, we clicked right away. Cool. And, uh, you know, within a month, we were playing, like, all the, you know, all the clubs in the city, like New Music Cafe and CBGBs and... Oh, Smile. She and, she yeah, that. yeah, we did that. And Arlene's Grocery and the Elbow Room, and, you know, we just were playing the whole New York circuit, you know? Yeah, there were so many good clubs. Yeah, there were so many good clubs yeah, back then. Yeah, and the village was jumping, yeah. too. And even then, like, what I'm talking about, it was, like, the end of it. Right. You know, like you were like where it was like really happening. Yeah, well, you, you know, like music. Like by the time I was there, the rock and roll was kind of dead in New York. It was like at the end of it, you know. Yeah, like, it was in the nineties, like the late nineties. By the by, two thousands, yeah, rock and roll kind of died. Clubs, you know? All the good clubs. Yeah, once they put the smoking ban in, all the clubs closed. It was like so. Right. Yeah, all right. the old school clubs go. closed. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, how can you stay alive? You know, it's like you can't have a garden in the middle of Eighth Avenue. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That French thing doesn't work. They changed, there, you know? they changed everything, you know. Well, whatever, it's just time, you know. Yeah. yeah. But that was a bummer for me, you know, because I grew up in the Midwest. And by the time I was old enough to, like, start doing business in the city and come and visit maybe a couple times a year, I'd be like, right. okay, I'll do business during the day. And then at night, yeah, I want to go to CBGBs. I want to go to, you know, wherever. And they're like, oh, no, you can't go there anymore. Like, they, they shut that down. Or, like, they don't yeah. get bands there anymore. I'm like, what the fuck? It's New York <laughs> yeah, City, man. Really? You know? Yeah. CB, no. I think CBGB's is now a John Vorvedo store. Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, Bleaker Street, it's like three bars are left. You know, like the old school, you know, the Bitter End's still there. Yeah. Uh, the Peculiar Pub, I think, is still there. And, like, the Red Line. And other than that, everything's closed. Like, you know, so many places. We used to, I used to live on Bleaker Street, that whole area. I was yeah, down there. Oh, yeah. Bleaker you know? McDougal. Yeah, Bleaker right. McDougal. Yeah. yeah, Sullivan Street, all those streets, clubs <laughs> everywhere, man. It's just not, you know, it isn't the same. I mean, rock and roll's not that doesn't dominate anymore. It's just not that hip anymore. You well, know? look at the, the village. Is, I, mean, I don't know what happened to it. It's a lot of money, money you yeah. know. Well, I know it's money. Poor, yeah. poor broke artists can't afford to live in the village. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. Hey, this is Scott Holiday from the Rival Sons. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Oh, well, let's talk about your record a little bit here, man. Because we got to, to listen to it here this last week or so. And we're, oh, cool. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're starting to really dig this thing. I'm almost, guys, I got to listen to it three or four times before it really starts to sink in. And thank goodness it is, you know. And God, you're showing off all your different styles here, George. I mean, I know, Terry, you're on about, what, five or six tracks, something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, while, I, while I was here and everything, George said, do you want to go in the studio and do some things with the band, you know? Yeah. Seeing that we're a band here when we're here and everything, I said, hell yeah, you know, why not? That's what, nah, no, don't well, like this. well, you know what it was? When, when I first met Terry, he'd only come out like maybe once a year uh -huh. to do like one of shows. And right. then over the years, like the last, like before COVID, like the last three or four years, he was coming out two, three times a year. And I'd just been writing a lot and just recording stuff. And then like every time he was here, I was like, you know what? Let's track a tune. Why not? You know, like mm -hmm. you're here. Let's, because he was here so much and it just kind of like snowballed. It wasn't like, I never like planned to record a ton of songs or anything. It just kind of, over the years, just accumulate. We accumulated a bunch of songs. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know. But George got into writing a bunch of them. So, and I, I got to be the singer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, like, like anything in the band. Well, what do you do? 
Well, little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you write on the bass, George? That's where you. Um, I did. Sometimes I write on the bass. Sometimes I write on the acoustic. You know, okay. for the most part. You know, it depends on like the song. Sometimes like if it's a groove, ninety percent of the time it'll be off the bass. Sure. If it's like a strummy thing, it's like my cheesy guitar playing. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, and that's where the inspiration <laughs> comes from. And then I'm you. A bass player. I don't really play guitar, but I can write on it. You know. Yeah, Come couch, on, I think that couch has a lot to. Yes, do the couch definitely yeah. has a lot to do with it. Man. Yeah, put strings on. <laughs> because I, I see you as the driving creative force in the band. There are other songwriters in your band. Yes, there are other songwriters oh, yeah. in the band. And uh, like the other guys write a lot. It was just like the other guys write more like country and bluegrassy country mm -hmm. stuff. Not that I don't write that stuff too, but just over the years lately, I've just been writing a lot of blues stuff. And I've always wanted to record a blues record. Not that this is a full blown blues record because it has all the shit on it. That's right. But you know, we, we, it's, it, it's, it's based in the blues, you know? So, like, I always wanted to put on, I love the blues, you know? Like, we are usually more like Southern honky-tonk kind of music, you know? Mm -hmm. But this was, like, just a little departure from that, and that could feature some different musicians that have been in and out of the band over the years, you know? So it was just something different to, you know, to, to go and do. You know, we're, we're still writing the country stuff and bluegrass stuff all the time as well, you know? Yeah, sure. But no, there's a lot of great blues, and you mix the blues in the country really well on here. And, and yeah, because the country's still blue. You know what I mean? Like as long as it has that ethos and that that blueness, that's what makes it blue. You know, like See it's that? blue. There you go. That's oh, nice. Yeah, that's the kind of blues it is. Got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is blue glitter. <laughs> Sweet man. Yeah. All right. Well, so what about like I don't know something like the Black Sunrise song? You know, oh. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm just I, I put this on. And I'm like, I'm taking this. This has got smooth little vocals on here, but then it's it's starting to mix up. It's telling a story which is very country and blues, you know, kind of at the same time. You've got a lot of different instruments on there. I don't know. I just, it all blends together really well for me, man. What was the inspiration behind that one? Well, I'll be honest. It was mostly like Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> just the, the groove I was kind of going for, like a kind of like that says like looping bluesy groove that he used to do. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, just the blues and, you know, it's the theme, like the themes of blues, you know, like your women leaving you a train, you yeah. know. It just all you know. It just I don't know. Like I don't. It just comes out, you know. Like I don't really think about it too much, you know. If if the words come and they sound cool, they sound cool, you know. Gotcha. There's a lot of them that come out that don't sound cool, you know. <laughs> put them away, you know. Yeah, we, we haven't we haven't got around to doing the Louvin, writing the Louvin. No, so. we got it, man. That's Which next means, on the list. So what you do is you have a girlfriend, you go to the bar, get drunk, murder you, go home, <laughs> have a fight with your girlfriend, murderer, right? Throw her in the river. Right. <laughs> and then we got a song. Yeah, and then we got a song. I mean, when I started listening to the Lubin Brothers, I loved the harmonies because those families, the bluegrass thing, like the Everly Brothers, they were all that same kind of... Uh, they're related famous. to the Lubin Brothers. They were? Yeah. They're related. They're like second cousins or third cousins. Yeah, they're third cousins. Yeah. I mean, when, yeah. but I never listened to the lyrics. When I listened to the lyrics, I went, wait a minute. <laughs> These guys are nuts. God. What's, what do you mean you threw her in the river and expect <laughs> and then went and turned yourself in? Right? And yeah, what was the point? Just thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's fascinating the, the subject yeah. matter of them. You know? yeah. Yeah, you're going to go to that trouble. I've smashed more things up listening to sad country music than I ever did listening to hard rock or heavy metal. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I've gotten more depressed listening to that kind of depressing stuff than like, yeah. you know, like that shit just touches you, you know? Yeah. Like, it's pure, you know? It's very real. Yes, it's, it's real. Very real. Yeah. 
that's what we always say. It's like you couldn't do a I'm standing next to a mountain chopping down with magic my head in a country song. It's like, what's that about? You have to sing about something real. You know, you have to yeah, sing yeah, about yeah, yeah, your yeah, woman yeah. doing your wrong. Your truck is rusted out. You know, whatever it is, it has to be real life. It yes, yes. It's, it's not they don't deal with abstractions. It's that's right. Play, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's amazing. Well, they were two crazy guys anyway. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were. Yeah. But they, they had a sad end too, you know. Honestly, like you told me this was a country record. And so I was like, okay, I went into it. It is, there are country elements, but I'm telling you what, that slide guitar on this record is phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's got Almond Brothers all over it. He's a real, real oh. top. He really yeah. is. What's the name of your keyboard player? Uh, Rob Clores. Clores. Yeah. yeah. He used to play with the Crows a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when the original keyboard player, I cannot think of his name, got sick and went into rehab, Rob toured with him for like two years. He's all over this thing, and he's phenomenal, man. Yeah, he's, he's all over the record, man. He's been on our records for like the last since like 2007. Right. I've I've had him on and off on records, you know, when I need him and stuff. He's a great guy. He's, he's like uh, grew up like a couple of towns away from me. I mm -hmm. met him about 15, 16 years ago. We've been friends ever since, you know. And he's he's and he's a you know real pro. He knows his shit, you know. He seems to, man, because a lot of times the keyboard is, is I don't know. It's almost like they're fighting for the same space as the guitar player. Yeah, not on this man. It, it all fits together really well. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's he's a real deal, man. He's and it's a pleasure to work with. He doesn't have a big head yet. He comes in, does his thing, you know. He has a drink, we laugh, you know. It's all fan. It's like family, you know. I I like working with people that I feel kindred to, not you know strangers all the time. I mean, I don't mind playing with strangers if like you connect with them. But yeah. you know, we got our little musical family, and it's a lot of fun. And and it's nice to hear the the vocal change ups too on this. You've got some songs that Terry sings. Some songs, you know, other people sing on the on the record back and forth. Yeah. Nice change up. And the the styles change too. You got a little bit of blues, a little bit of country, a little bit of kind of a hybrid of both of those things. Yeah, there's a little R and B on there too, yeah. you know. Yeah. With, with the chick singing in the background and stuff. Mm -hmm. I got a little of that going as well, you know. Yeah, it's like a bang. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> you can make every song sound, you know, individual and mm -hmm. you know. But it sounds like a big band. I mean, this is like three or four guys. It sounds more like, you know, you've got seven, eight people, which isn't yeah. always the case. Yeah, well, it's not. Usually when we play, we're like a five-piece, you know, and once, and sometimes I have a fiddle player sit in whenever he can make it, so mm -hmm. it's a six-piece. And sometimes, we usually when we play, we don't have keyboards because he's always on tour and stuff, stuff. He tours with a lot of cats, so gotcha. it's hard to get him, you know, to tour, uh, I mean, to play with us, you know, but when it's studio, he'll, he's always here for us, you know? That's cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, I haven't listened to every single one of your albums, like, to review it, so I'm not... Uh, I've listened to them all, but I haven't listened to them like intently to, to, to go in with a pen and make a bunch of notes. But you have some great instrumentals on here, you know, like a Blues 22 or the Greek Mac, which I assume is you, George. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you're the Greek Mac. Uh, but, you know, is, is that something you like to do? Like, let's just do a jam and instrumental and that's something you could yeah, kind of I mean, stretch I out Booker, live? I love, I love Ramsey Lewis and I love like Booker T and the MGs. I love Jimmy Smith. And I, and I, you know, I love the Allman Brothers. I, you know, I love Pink Floyd. Those guys are all, they do instrumental, big instrumental suites. And some of them are short. Some of them are long. I just like instrumentals. I like, I, I got great guitar players in the band. Yeah. I got a great organ player. Let's show them off. You know, let's let them groove a little bit, you know? And, I don't know. I just enjoy like the instrumental stuff a lot, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's fun, you know? Yeah, you, the dance is good yeah, too, right. yeah. <laughs> and you can stretch them out live if you want to, man. Just yeah, let exactly, people jam, exactly, you know? You know? Yeah. Now, 
Terry, I mean, you didn't write these with, with George. George came to you like, here's what I got. You're like, oh, yeah, I can sing those. Or did you, did you add a yeah, little something? Know, it's like with any singer, what you, I suppose what you should do, you, you, you take it on, you listen to it, and you listen to what it's about, you listen to that, and then you, uh, you just start crafting it in, into how you would do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? As it is, George is, he's not Mario Lanza. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, mate, I'm being nice about it. No, no it's all good. He'll hum, me, he'll hum me the melody a bit and then uh, and give me the lyric. But the main thing is give me the lyric, right? So it's not like I've got it's somebody who's singing it to me that already has a set style that there you go. And if you try and get away from it, you lose the song. That can happen with a lot of songs, you know. You start singing it your way, suddenly it's another song, yeah. right? Yeah. So I had free reign, as you might say, a free reign to to do what I wanted to do with uh, with the material, right? Which is great. That's different. You don't usually when I, I work for a lot of different people doing songs and off the cuff and different things, but they're usually set in stone, or you know, they or they have an arrangement in the background which you're locked into. It's like an okay. engine, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got. A, you got to stay with all the parameters, right? Right. But it's great. We, yeah, we, yeah. Just, we just buddies. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. We just like to hang out and play, make music yeah. together, you know? Watch Westerns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The music, the music's incidental. It's all about the Westerns and, uh, and yeah. the brisket sandwiches. Yeah. Nice. You can you can tell that on the record that it really seems like you guys are all just I mean you're yes you're making music yes it's a professional deal but it sounds like you're all having a good time it's very cohesive just a, it, one big jam session yeah I mean that's pretty much you know like it was it was funny like I mean the tunes I uh, we I recorded that I had Terry sing on I recorded at this uh, studio in Teaneck New Jersey which is actually <laughs> Terry's adopted hometown yes I oh, yeah. I'm from T-Mick and I can nearly get beat up in a bar. <laughs> I did it in California. There's a guy I knew from New York and he's, hey, hey, and he's talking next to me in the bar to somebody. And uh, I'm from so-and-so and they say, I'm from T-Mick. And I went, oh, my hometown. And he, he looked at me, if looks can kill. <laughs> he's like, he's not having that at all, right? You know? <laughs> I said, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> So uh, the two, those, the five, four, five, the five songs that we did with Terry, I recorded at this studio, and it's actually the board that used to be in Tony Bennett's studio, which is in Englewood, New Jersey, which is the town over. Wow! And oh, they took wow. the board, and the guy board, and his guy's name is Andreas, and now uh, he's a professional drummer. I can't think of his last name, but he's a great bloke. And he got the board in his house, and he's got the engineer that used to work at Bennett Studios, and they do the sessions out of there. So I, we went there, and they have the Hammond organ there, and they have. You know, the, he, the guy has like 15 different vintage drum sets. And so he had wow. all the gear there. And we tracked those tunes there. And all the other stuff I recorded here in my house, in my in our, in my, in my studio. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like a lot of the stuff I, I really, you know, like we didn't over rehearse anything. Like a, a couple of the songs, we pretty much, I wrote them like on a Friday. And we, by next Friday, we were tracking them. You know, okay. we'll like one or two rehearsals just to run through them. Like I was trying to just, you know, writing because they were coming out fast and I wanted to keep that fast and loose. Yeah. Thing, you know? And I don't want, I don't know, sometimes you you over rehearse stuff and it, after a while you don't want to record, record it because you played it a thousand times. Yeah, you know? It, so it, it was cool that it was like, and at the time, a lot of the stuff was during the pandemic. So my engineer was out of work. Everybody was out of work. So I was just like, dude, look, come over for three days and let's just track. And we, you know, grab a couple of drinks have a smoke, have a slice of pizza, and just take our time all day long playing and 
all right, this one sounds cool, this one doesn't, let's keep that. And then that's how it kind of started. You know, I, I was going for, like, a very loose feel to it. I wasn't trying to make a Yes album or, you know, like, <laughs> right. I, I want the Eagles album where you don't hear the hiccups. I, you know, I don't care if it's a little – if there's a hiccup here or a little loose thing there. It's it's all – it's rock and roll. In the end, it's all rock and roll, you know. If it's a yeah. Yes album, we've been there for two years. Oh. <laughs> no. Well, it definitely sounds like an album that's made to be played live. Yeah, well, yeah, we, 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 we've been starting to play some of the songs live uh because in a pandemic we weren't getting it was real crazy because like some of the guys live far away in the band so just getting everybody in the room together it was like you know it was me and eddie and my other drummer my, eddie played drums he also is the guitar player that plays the slide so me and him did a lot of the stuff bass and drums with my other drummer adding other you know doing some other stuff with us as well Okay. So it was like we were building a bass drums and then Eddie would add acoustic. Then my singer would come up and I teach him the song. He'd do the song and go home. And then we, you know, he would never even play on it. You know, it was just the way we all put it together. Cause that was just, you know, slow. And then some of the stuff everybody plays on, but it was just, can you make it? You can't make it or I'll get the other cat to come and make it. You yeah. know, it's just like kind of like that, you know, whoever could come in and add to some of their talent to it, you know, kind of happened like that, you know, and a lot of it was recorded. Most of it was recorded live bass drums and guitar it was really, as a trio. Then we overdubbed everything else and added everything. Oh, time. cool! Yeah, all right. Yeah, all the rhythm tracks are live, and and most of them are like within like the two second or third take. We didn't do like ten takes of stuff. We just went fast and loose with it, you know. And that's where the feel on this record comes from because you recorded yeah. the, the rhythm together live. Yeah, yeah, together yeah. live. You know, like the keyboard players there when we're doing it. You know, as a trio. You know, with the bass drums and everything. It's all mm -hmm. there. That's awesome. Well, and to sidestep for one moment, you mentioned yes record. I know we were kind of joking about that. But in getting prepared for this, I didn't realize that you had played with Alan White back in the day, Terry. I mean, it should oh, yeah, shock me because no, yeah, you played with so many. Yeah, we had that was a whole fiasco. I decided to put the ultimate band together. <laughs> the best band in. Well, we all do that. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it ends up sounding like a mess. But you try, at least you start off with that idea, right? So what I did, we were we were running around in England and we'd been in states and I I slowly got into, which is my main influence, is R&B. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'd live and die for all those Four Tops records, you know, oh, yeah. and all that. that. That was just all I, that I liked, to jazz things. So I thought, I know what, let's, let's try and put a country, a little bit country, rock and roll, R&B. So a friend of mine, uh, Lee Miles, who was with Ike Turner, right. he joined me in England. And we started putting the band together. And the only drummer that really hung heavy and could pull it off was Alan White, right? Yeah. But Alan was busy. He's working with uh, all different groups. And also he's working with John Lennon doing right. magic. So <laughs> Tim, uh, the schedule's got, like, uh, really. John Lennon called me up one day. And I don't get me wrong. That sounds a little brash. But I don't. I don't didn't know John. I wish I did. But we go, we double booked the gig. You know how that can be, right? That's dead. But the gig we pulled out twice before from problems with the agent who double booked it or something. So this will be the third time out, which is you get blackball for that, right? Right. So I get this phone call from John Lennon, and he says, "Hello, Terry, it's John." I said, "Yeah." He says, "Oh, he says you got a real problem." He said, "Our band had the same problem. You got to do that third gig." Oh, you'll never play that circuit again. He said it nearly ruined our band. And I'm just going, yeah, yeah, your band, yeah. What band was, oh, yeah, right, the Beatles. <laughs> that little, that <laughs> little quartet, yeah. what he was talking about, right? 
So he let he sent Alan up in a car, right, like a, a with a driver, nice. so we could go up and do the. It was Leicester, Leicester, not Dumfries, Leicester Polytechnic, no, Loughborough University. That's what it was. Yeah, right. I can never forget. I don't, I don't know how I remember these things, but <laughs> it was. I think I, I was in shock that we weren't going to do the gig, so I remembered it. You know. Nice. We had him, and then we got David Lindley in the band as well. Can't rest the who sword. played? Yeah, who just passed away this year, which is really sad. I, I can't, I can't believe it. You know, but don't shit happens, as they say. You know, that's right. We're all living on. We've been living on the edge for years anyway. <laughs> I don't know how we got this far, really. Well, <laughs> but you're not the only one of your generation who's still out there doing it. I mean, you mentioned some of the guys you played with, the Rolling Stones. They're still doing it. Clapton's still doing it. You toured with the original Fleetwood Mac. Mick and John yeah. are still doing it. Yeah. Right? You know, Jethro Toll is still doing it. I get to see all them guys too, and they're all like still, you know, they're, they're all still raving around. You're my friend Graham Nash, you know, just he's just finishing up a tour. And him and Paul McCartney are 80, you know. Yeah. And he, he's just done a real successful tour and that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we got here. That's amazing, <laughs> you know. After after all the after all the you know what happened and what everybody did, oh, truth or mate, it's a it's a wonder, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, what about you, George? Are you going to be doing this in your eighties? You feel like I'm going to do it till the day I die. That's yeah. what I want to hear. I think most musicians are like it's not something you can retire from. If it's in you, it's in you. You know, you can walk away from it, but it always calls you. You know, I don't know. It's just it's in you. I'm going to play whether I play on you know professionally. I'm gonna pick up my guitar as much as I can till the day I die. You know, it's it's all about. Yeah. I said that when I was 16, and I still hold by those principles from back then. You know. Well, you're a terrible plumber. You're gonna. Have to... <laughs> <laughs> no, God bless you. You're, you're, you're not everybody. doing my plumbing, right? <laughs> no, all musicians should be that way. I mean, you're not an accountant. You know, you do something you love. You do something that changes people's lives for the better. You know, and like you say, if you're just gonna sit in your basement and strum. You're still doing it. You're know? doing it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, go on. Listen, man, man you, the Rolling Stones, as, as much as they do it for money, they don't have, they don't need the money. They do it they because, it. you know what? It feels awesome to have 60,000 people knowing every word of your songs and yeah. clapping and cheering. And that's an energy that you feel. And they felt that all their lives. And now to stop feeling that energy, it's like stopping. It's like a drug almost, you know, that, mm -hmm. that feeling of euphoria you feel when so many people are giving you that energy, you know, like it's great. The millions of dollars are great, but that feeling's just as great, you know, at that, at that level of, when you're an artist and you have that many people that you, you know, like you touch so many lives with your music, that's a big deal, man. You yeah, let's still keep going. You know, keep you know? coming to the gigs, you know. Keith can't spend that money anymore. He's doing it to get off. He's doing it, it, it to be exactly, a of people. Yeah. Oh, Keith, he exactly, just, man. He never, he never leaves the studio, Keith. Yeah. It's like, it's like he's, got, he's got time booked in every city <laughs> in the world, <laughs> just in case he gets an idea. Right? He might, might have an idea. Where am I? Yeah. Okay. You did book that studio last month, right? Yeah, right. It's mad. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Gary Rossington. The guy had a heart attack on stage, <laughs> apologized to the fans. Then for the next, like, three, four, five years, whatever it was, he kept touring with them, having many heart attacks. He wouldn't – he'd miss a gig. But they, he listen, those guys could sell Freebird to Ford and make a bajillion dollars selling cars with that song. The guy's, yeah. you know, he's he, – that guy has plenty of money. He don't need to do it. 
You know why he did it? Because he loved being on that stage playing those tunes, man. And that's the bottom line. You know, if you're real musicians, you know, that's all the bluegrass guys. They all play till they're in there. Ralph Stanley played till he was 90 years old, you know, yeah. like even the jazz guys. You know, I saw Max Roach. He was 85 years old. Still out there playing the four-piece, swinging like a son of a bitch, you know? The one that always got me that I got to know real well, who fascinated me, who was, I think he was 80 when I met him, or 70, was rambling Jack Elliott. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, Jack was, I don't know, I think he was 100, and he's still going around in that Volkswagen bus with his daughter. He got his daughter running things, right? But he was a fascinating case because he was an anthology of everything from Woody Guthrie through to rock and roll. Yeah. Right? So when he started telling stories, you got the big picture, you know. Oh, yeah, my friend Keith Richards in this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Woody would have loved this. And, you know, it's it, it all just... Yeah, he knew everybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, actually, he really knew what he got through. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Scott Holiday from the Rival Sons. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I got to say thanks for a couple of songs in this album. For one, stop talking. Yeah, uh, but no, but time only tells, man. And I think you're on that. Yeah, Terry uh, sings in that one. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I got Cindy Cashdollar also playing uh, that, yes, that electric it. Dobro on there. She's yes. killer, man. Oh, she's she's killer on else, man. Yeah, just yeah. something else. To me, yeah. that's a classic, classic blend of country and the blues. It's a lament, but it's not all sad. It's it's just a killer classic tune, man, and I, nice. I dig it. And, and you wrap the album up with it. You know, it's not just like, okay, well, here's our last song. You probably didn't even listen this far. So we'll just put, you well, know. I put so, it there specifically to end the album, like Time Only Tells. You know, who knows if there'll be a next one? Who knows where we'll be? You know, kind of like, you know, I don't know. I put thought into it. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, that one, I, I, that one, I was, I, you know, I, I'm a huge Skinner fan. And I love, like, Ronnie's ballads. And it was kind of like it was inspired by, like, listening to a lot of, like, the Ronnie stuff, you know. And I kind of, and then I, when I wrote it, I kind of ha- was doing it more like a skinned way. And then me and my Eddie, the guitar player, we would do, I, I had, we had, I wrote it like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it, we recorded it, but it wasn't jiving. It just wasn't right at that time, I guess. It hasn't coalesced yet. And then I, and then we started, we were jamming bass and drums and I started playing it, but I couldn't remember it. So I was playing it in like kind of like a different time or feel. Okay. And then that, and then Eddie started playing like this, like Otis Redding kind of like drum beat to it. And that's when it kind of fell together. And I was like, holy shit, all right, this is like, this is the way we got to do it. And then, you know, that's when we went from there, you know, built the song up and everything. It's amazing how that works. You think it's one thing, it's not working for whatever reason. Put it on the shelf or let it simmer, whatever. And then you just, you, it's a little different. Or you put one new 
mixture thing in the mix. And I was like, oh, that's what it was supposed to be all Well, along. you know, sometimes songs stay with you. Sometimes you write a song and you forget it because it's not, you know, whatever. But some stay with you for a while and you know it's something, but it's not quite there yet. It just yet, doesn't you know? seem right yeah, doesn't that, at that right. moment. Or with you love the song. You love the song here, but I don't think disco really fits it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or, or whatever, you know, you get some. I went through a funny one like that with, um, with George Michael in oh, England. Yeah. And he was in the studio, lovely guy, great guy. I mean, he's the friendliest guy in the world, right? And I mean, we worked with Trevor Horn in the studio downstairs mm -hmm. at Sarver. And he's got this whole studio upstairs that he's took over. And he's, he's every day there's more equipment going in. I don't know how they fitted it all in there. It was like the shuttle going to the moon. <laughs> I mean, in there, it was so hot, you had fans everywhere. Anyway, oh, wow. he was um, he had that song, Father Figure. Right. Oh, mm. yeah, 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 yeah. And he was, he'd had it for a long time and he'd had it cut as all I wanted was the vanity, like wow. Dance, you know, yeah, so he's, he's doing that and he, he just says, you know, Terry, it never sounded right. Let me play what I just did to it. He played me the disco world, the dancing first. Then he played me what he just done. He recut it as a ballad. It's like a real spooky ballad. Went number one. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, yeah, that's for sure. Well, no, did everybody, cool. I said to him, did everybody not like the other version? He said, well, actually, everybody liked it. That's why I didn't like it. <laughs> he said, I like the song, but it just didn't seem right. Fantastic. There you go, yeah. yeah. Good decision. <laughs> yeah, you know that? And so, yes, you've worked with some legendary producers over the years. You mentioned Trevor Horn. Chris Kimsey yeah. worked with at the end of the 70s. Your buddy, uh, Graham Dash, you know. Yeah, right. So many folks. Did anyone stick out? It's like, that was the guy who got me the best. What? How do you mean? As far as... Well, as, who, a, well, as a, a question. Who was the... The producer that brought the best out of you, who got you as an artist the best? I would say, well, it's a combination. It's never one thing. But working with Graham, mm -hmm. I know... It's that same thing again. It's it's not just about the music. It's when you know somebody, mm -hmm. you listen to them. Mm -hmm. You respect right? them, yeah. Some new guy that's all full of, you know, bells and whistles and that. It's like, I don't know about this. <laughs> sure. it's, it might work, it might not. But Graham, I'd known for, well, since I was 14 or something, with the Hollies and that. Wow. So we'd been through a lot of stuff, you know. Well, he'd been through a lot of stuff. And, you know, I watched all this go down between us. And then when he said, let's do an album, I went, oh, well, there's an idea for you. And I sent him the songs and he loved them. So we went in with Al Schmidt doing the engineering, who was an integral part of the thing. This is the man that cut Sam Cooke's records, right? Oh, I mean, come on. So Terry's, that's that's it. I'm in heaven now, yeah. you know. So Graham put a, a, a situation together that wasn't just – it's some of the people that I played with all the time, like Soko Richardson from Mike and Tina and Lee Miles on bass, Mike and Tina, and uh, that R&B section, and then uh, and Ben Keith on, on the pedal steel, and Al Perkins playing like an orchestra. There's all these things going on, you know. So Graham was like, right, you know, throwing it this way and that way. It was brilliant. It was the most fun I ever Which is had. what a producer is supposed to do. Yeah. Is, is hear the stuff that you don't hear. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed you know? to listen to what the song is that the guy's playing and then colour it accordingly. You know, let everybody agrees. Not, oh, this is my way of doing it. Yeah. yeah oh, God. 
you know, you get in you get into big trouble doing that, you know. But but that's an interesting concept too. We we focus a lot on the producer, but from what you're saying, it's really more of the of the cocktail of everybody that's there. You know, the absolutely. engineer, the sound, yeah, this, yeah all of that absolutely. has to come together. Yeah, it is because you know, engineers, there's engineers that do all that work and put it together. Like Jeff Emery was the most well-known. Uh, you wouldn't want his job, you know. <laughs> I mean, these guys, like, make all these tapes and things, and, and they put this in and go, okay, we're going home now, Jeff. You put it together. Poor guy. Poor guy. I mean, he spent more times in the studio, more hours in the studio than any human being. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's down to the engineer, whatever the project is, They've got to make that sonically right within keeping with what the description of the music is, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's country. Yeah, you can't make country record. I mean, these days, sometimes it, you get country rock and roll records. I don't know. Sometimes it irritates me, you know, because the mix is rock and they're doing it because to get the numbers and sell. But it's not authentic. Well, yeah. it doesn't relate to really yeah. anything. It's like, yeah, I know. Unless it's a really good looking girl up there doing it. And then you can't really get the damn yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they make sure of that. Well, this has been a blast, gentlemen. I'm really glad that you came on the show. It's really cool to meet you all. I'm really psyched for you to put this record out in the world and, and to get out there and play some, man. I, I really Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. Man. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Good, good conversation. Yeah. Appreciate any um, any you want to you know plug any social media or websites or gigs? Yeah, TerryReed.com. dot com, right? CosmicAmericanDerelicts.com. right? And you know you can search the Cosmic American Derelicts and Terry Reed. We both have Facebook pages. That's about it, I think, for the social media. I don't know if Terry has other. Yeah, just media. Uh, no. It's Instagram. By the time this comes out, maybe we do Ronnie Scott. So I'm not yeah. sure whether we're there yet. But for anybody in England, if you happen to hear this before the gig. Please come. And then later in the year, in October, we're doing a jazz cafe, right, which we've been trying to do for the last four years. But, you know, between COVID and everything else, I mean, it's, it's like, is it on? No, it's not. No. Is it on? No, it's right. on. Is it on? No, it isn't. Right. I mean, it got the point where the guy at the club said, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> don't mention that word, Terry Rick. I don't want to do it Poor guy running the club. He, he's had so many problems. It's amazing. He's still yeah. They almost closed. Still, yeah, they almost, they almost did. Closed, lose yeah. that, lose so many in the UK, man. I mean, I was there during COVID, and you know, you would see tumbleweeds going down Abbey Road, man. I'm like, what the? Yeah. When are they going to open this back up? You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. They've gone yeah. through enough with uh, going audio visual with the place, you know, and changing yeah, it all yeah. around. Still has that sound. It's classic, yeah. but I mean, they they changed all the gear and everything. And they really just got it on its feet for movies and cut and things. A lot of work went down the tubes, all those orchestra sessions. Yeah. Which they're famous for, you know, in that big yeah. room. Yeah. But thank yeah. God that some of them, God bless, are still around. So yeah. we'll, you know, it's like the clubs and all of them. And uh, yeah, we got to just do what, put up with it, ain't we? Yeah. <laughs> and and soldier on. And I'm glad that we got turned on to you guys. We'll do whatever we can to turn some more folks on to you as well. Thank Again. you very much. Thank you, gentlemen. That was God awesome. Bless, man. God bless. Thank you. Have fun in the road these days, and good luck with the record. Yeah? Thank okay, you very much thanks. for everything. God bless. Uh, thanks. thanks. Cool. Well, interesting couple of characters there, Jackson. I'll tell you what. That's another. It. I mean, they could probably have talked for another 
several hours just about you know stories from the road and i mean terry i i, I admittedly i didn't know that much about terry reed before we started into this mm. holy crap you talk about a guy who knew everybody i mean he's like oh yeah my friend graham nash i've known him since 1966 okay sure yeah you know, when Robert Plant calls you the voice of a generation, that means you're the voice of a generation. That's not some odd critic who's trying right. to come up with somebody rare that you don't know about. That's the voice of a generation. Paying homage to his voice of a generation, right? I mean, so just a really cool guy too. Just somebody who, like, he, he the stories that well that he told earlier and the other interviews that I've seen. It's just very matter of fact. It's not like, well, I did this or I. It's just like. Yeah, we were just hanging out and this is what happened. Yeah, yep. yeah. Jimi Hendrix walks by and he plugs in and just goes to town. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know. And like you see who he toured with like in the 60s and 70s. Like we talk, talk about opening for the Stones, you know, he opening for Cream at Madison Square Garden as a teenager, right? Yes. Yeah. O- opening for Jethro Tull and the original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green. I'm like, damn, dude, you know, and, and you wonder what what it was about, I guess. You know, Mickey Most kind of screwed him over. That's what it sounds like. That's yeah. definitely that. That was a big hole that that he put in his career because I, I guess he couldn't release any of his stuff for a while. Right? No, he couldn't. He couldn't record, or he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't put it out. I guess he could record all he wants, but there's nowhere he could go with it. And you know, obviously, most casual rock fans, you bring up Terry Fees. Oh yeah, he's the one who introduced Robert Plant to Jimmy Page. Yes, okay, that's an old story. True, I guess, but it wouldn't have been the same. Look, things happen for a reason, you know, and Led Zeppelin are who they are, and Terry Reed is who he is, and he's awesome, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's quite the character, and he still had a wonderful career. And look, he's got George, his best buddy now. Look, those guys, you could tell they were tight as hell. He was sitting there stringing a 12-string guitar. (laughs) That was awesome. The whole time we were talking. I was, I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. I kind of thought maybe he'd strum a couple a little bit. But yeah, it was cool. Yeah, just matter of fact, just putting so, putting stuff together. I guess they were at the studio or something. That's what it looked like. Yeah, just two guys uh, yeah. having a good time. I mean, that might have been George's place uh, because they're they're getting ready to do some shows around New York here in the next week or so. So so unbelievably bizarre for me to hear this music and then you hear him talk, George. Like, yep. That's New Jersey. He's right from New there. Jersey, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. He's got the New like, Jersey accent, no doubt. You would think, like, well, what kind of what kind of music? Oh, you know, like you know, Springsteen esque hard rock. No, it's it's. I would have thought, I would have sworn they were from down here in Jacksonville. I was going to say, I bet it sounds like the band sounds like they're right up from the road from where you are, man. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. you know, kind of a little bit Skinnered, a little bit Almond Brothers mixed together. No, we're from New Jersey, really. All right. And how cool is it that we got a first-hand John Lennon story? Right? First yeah, time we've ever had one of those. Yeah, yeah. That just, just, I mean, I could just sit there and listen to him talk for hours, just whatever you want. I mean, just story after story after story. And like I said, told in a very matter-of-fact way. Like, he, you know, the whole thing about Lennon said, you've got to play this show or you're out. All right? I guess we're doing this. Right, because you figure John Lennon's like, okay, look, we're double booked. I'm John Lennon and you're not. I'm taking the drummer to my gig. Yeah, <laughs> and he was. It was the opposite. He's like, no, man, you can't go out three times. You'll get blackballed. You got to yep. go play that gig. It mm-hmm. happened to us once. My little band, <laughs> a little quartet you had from Liverpool. <laughs> Whatever happened to them, by the way? <laughs> yeah, they were going to be big. Oh well. And that's why we do this show to keep rock alive, to keep new music like Bergenfield Blues mm-hmm. up in people's faces, but also the stories of rock and roll, like John Lennon. Call up Terry Reed to say, you've got to take Alan White to the gig because you're going to get blackballed if you don't. 
and I'll find somebody else because I guess I'm John Lennon. I can get whatever I want. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, but I never heard that story before he told it. So yeah. don't see yeah. that on Wikipedia. But I mean, but even, I mean, I, I knew Terry was going to have great stories, just, you know, who he is and, and where he's come from. But even to hear those stories that George was telling about, you know, the old days of playing at CBGB's, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a link that, like you said, we never had, we never got to go to CBGB's at all. And especially not in its heyday. Right. And for him to, to, you know, have lived that life. Those are some great stories also. And though, so those guys together with a lot of years in the road and some living and some loss. Yeah. Now they're in a position to write and play a blues album, you know? Right. And, and that's why I like this thing because it is genuine. It's not like they said, okay, we need to do a different genre. Let's stick a bunch of blues in it. No, it's something that evolved over time and a right they earned through living life and being on the road and playing this music to come up with these songs, you know? And, you know, I'm not a huge country guy, but I'm digging this album a lot. Yeah, but this is this is not really country. This is like you I mean when you say I I'm know. not a country fan, I'm not a fan of like new pop country. This is old like grisly country. This is well, like right. you said, like you know, you listen to it and you're like, yeah, I've had hard times too. Yeah, she left me, and I was just the worst. It was the worst, and you it's, know, it's with blended the, the country white man blues with the inner city black man blues. Correct, That's basically what it is. Correct. Yeah. But like you said, they, they've had enough miles under their belt now where they can write a record like this, and it is genuine. They're not trying to sound like anybody else. So catch them whenever you get a chance. And definitely, God, if I was in if I was, if it was in London this June, I would definitely be around in Scott's to go see Oh, that would be awesome. Well, that is our chat with the legendary Terry Reed and George from the Cosmic American Derelicts, two guys for whom rock and roll is more than just a passion like it is for me and Jackson. It's a way of life. And now they're not only bandmates and folks who've created great music and played together, but they're friends. You could tell that from the conversation. We could see it. You guys couldn't see it, the video that, that we had of them, but they're sitting there hanging out on the couch together. You know, Terry's stringing up his 12-string while George is, is telling a story there, you know? So great guys. With a fun, cool new album that I think everyone should check out, Bergenfield Blues. Yeah, Bergenfield Blues is already out in America, so you can go pick that up at the Cosmic American Derelicts Dere website. You can pick it up at your record store. It will be coming out in the UK July 21st. So for our friends across the pond there, you might have to wait a little bit longer there. But if you want to see Terry Reed, he is playing Ronnie Scott's in London on the 20th of June. So if you're in the greater London area... You won't be able to see George and the rest of the Cosmic American Derelicts, but you can see Terry doing some of his great old tunes there. So don't miss out on that. Super guys. I wish them all the success with the record and in touring here 2023 and beyond. So as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. You email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the albums, the books, the concerts, the DVDs, the rock properties you want to hear us talk more about. Please go check out our store. You can get there by getting to us on our Twitter account. It's at Ugly underscore Werewolf. You can also hit up at ActionJack72. You can DM us or tweet us. That's where you can go to our shop. And I think we're going to have a little discount available for Father's Day. So you might want to go ahead and check that out. You also see all of our old shows on there. We thank, as always, Pantheon Podcast. We are a proud member of Pantheon Podcast with about 100 different shows, all sorts of genres, something in there for everybody. Check out PantheonPodcast.com or check out the app at the App Store where you can hear every episode of every show on there. 
And of course, thank you to our sponsors, rarevinyl.com, based in the UK. Use that code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, could be capital U-G-L-Y. Use that to save 10% off all of your purchases from rarevinyl.com all around the world. And the fun's going to continue here on the Ugly American Werewolf in London. We're so psyched that we've had the opportunity to talk to so many great artists and authors and writers and folks who just love this music. And we've got a couple of great writers coming up with some books that are coming out soon, maybe already out. So you got to tune in next week. Our prog fans are definitely going to want to be tuning in. Our hard rock fans are definitely going to want to be tuning in. So until next time, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.